I have never studied poetry. I know very little about it. I've written only a small handful of poems in my lifetime. But for some reason, last Sunday, it seemed like a good idea to write a poem and make it central to my sermon and read it out loud to all of you and to our radio audience and anyone in the world with internet. <laughs> and from what I could tell, it wasn't catastrophic. So, emboldened by my success, I will once again take something I know nothing about and make it central to my sermon. Today I will talk to you about quantum physics. <laughs> Despite never having taken a class on even regular physics, I earned a BA in college, not a BS, although BS may be an appropriate description for what I'm about to say on the topic. I have managed to get through a couple paragraphs of a journal article, and one time I was on a road trip with a friend who was way smarter than me, and he tried to stay awake by explaining to me what to him was the most exciting theory in quantum physics, entanglement. Let me explain it to you the only way I know how, oversimplified and probably wrong. <laughs> but it makes my point anyway which I'll get to very soon. So entanglement is when a group of subatomic particles interact in such a way that the state of each particle cannot be described independently of the state of the other. Any properties such as position in space, speed, rotation, polarization, is shared instantly by the entangled particles, no matter how close or far away they are. So say a pair of entangled particles move at the speed of light in opposite directions, a change in the position or speed of one particle is instantly reflected in the other entangled particle even at great distances, even light years apart. Now, when my friend in the driver's seat explained this to me, that's when my mind was officially blown. And no, this is not some kind of new, wacko pseudoscience. This phenomena was uh, observed by the likes of Albert Einstein. Einstein thought the behavior they observed was impossible. So instead of confirming this quantum entanglement theory, he just called it spooky action at a distance. That's his exact phrase published in a scientific paper about 90 years ago. In recent years, more experiments have been done and this entanglement theory has been confirmed multiple times in multiple ways. So, how does this relate to Jesus' teachings on forgiveness? Glad you asked. <laughs> I think it serves as a useful and beautiful metaphor for how heaven and earth are connected to one another and for how human action impinges on divine action and vice versa. A metaphor, I said, I'm not claiming that our theology 
can be explained with subatomic particles. It's a metaphor. Jesus used a phrase in today's reading from Matthew 18 that as I pondered it, preparing for today, it reminded me of that mind-blowing conversation I had inside the car. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, whenever a saying of Jesus starts with, truly I tell you, there is more there than what we see at first glance. It's the gospel writer's way of signaling to us to pay attention. This is not a filler line thrown out in passing. This is a crucial point to everything that surrounds it. This saying shows up in a teaching section in Matthew 18 on conflict and wrongdoing in the church and on accountability and forgiveness and restorative justice. Now remember that the likely origin of this gospel, as I've said several times, and Matthew's likely intended audience is the conflicted church in Antioch in a hotbed of mutual wrongdoing and offense of real damage caused by human beings against each other. Now, none of our four gospels were written in the abstract just for the sake of compiling a neutral history of Jesus. They are stories with an audience and with a purpose. And when we have a sense of the audience and purpose of a gospel, it helps us be more authentic when we apply it to our own context. And I just think that ancient Antioch may not be as far away as we think from where we sit today. In his gospel, Matthew repeatedly showcases mutual offense of human beings against each other. From the birth narrative of Jesus, Matthew being the only gospel to focus on the social conflict Joseph's dilemma, the Magi, the state-sponsored violence in response to Jesus' birth, to John the Baptist condemning the communal sin of the people, to the Sermon on the Mount teachings on reconciliation before worship, on turning the other cheek, of, on love of enemy, and why do you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye and do not notice the log in your own eye? And to Jesus' warning to his disciples that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves and to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that's just a small sampling from Matthew that we read before we get to today's passage on offending and forgiving. This gem of a story that leads to a gem of a parable. So as I read Matthew 18 again with these words of Jesus in mind, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And as I think about this idea of quantum entanglement, I start seeing it all through this text. Heaven and earth are entangled. In the best sense of the word, we cannot treat heaven and earth as two entirely separate and disconnected entities. 
Another way of saying it is God is fully invested in life on this earth to the point of being enmeshed and entangled with it. And as such, everything that happens on earth impacts heaven and vice versa. It started at the dawn of creation. According to Genesis 1, when God created human beings in God's image. That's a theological statement of our origins, not a scientific one. We were made to reflect the actual glory of God. Remember last Sunday's transfiguration story. There is that of God within us, God's imprint, God's image, theologically speaking, that forever entangles us with God and earth with heaven and the human with the divine. Where we human beings get into big trouble is when we forget that reality. When we think that we operate as solo actors, free to do and be as we please without consequence on the whole. You know, the Matthew 18 approach to resolving offenses in the body of Christ is one that we Mennonites have pulled out often as a model for how accountability should work in the church, especially when an individual neglects to conform to the rules and expectations of the church. I remember in my childhood, this text being used as justification for what amounted to public shaming, for confessing of personal sin in front of the church. Now, in the small house church context of the early church where people's lives were deeply and daily connected to each other at the table, I think this model could well have been implemented in a loving way. But I do think that our context requires adaptation. This truly I tell you saying of Jesus might help us adapt it in a way that forgiveness and accountability and freedom are held together as community values. The heart of the offense that Jesus is speaking about here is the refusal of someone to accept that what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. I need to realize that Whatever action I take is not taken alone. My human actions impact God. And every other human being who is tied to God with me. That is, everyone in my covenant community. Now that awareness alone knowing that what is bound on earth is bound in heaven and what is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven should be enough to keep me receptive to signals to something that I have done to cause offense. Matthew 18 is a stinging indictment of good old American individualism. Yes, of course, 
there is always a place for expressions of individual freedom. We are not all made alike. Human respect includes celebrating each other's unique gifts and personalities and experiences and points of view. Matthew 18 does not undermine respect for the individual. It undermines the notion that who I am and how I behave has no bearing on the people around me and on the God who made us all in God's image. The sin of the unforgiving servant in Jesus' parable that followed this story is not a mathematical problem, it's a relational problem. We don't need, we don't get any closer to the truth by using a calculator, as I did, to learn that 10,000 talents, the amount forgiven by the master, was 600,000 times larger than the 100 denarii that another servant owed the first servant. Those numbers are purposely made preposterous for the sake of the story. The great offense here is that the unforgiving servant did not accept that his actions were entangled with everyone around him, with the one above him, the ones below him, and with his peers. He failed to take into account that as a human being, he could not flourish as a solo actor, independent of those around him. That's the way forgiveness works in the realm of God. Our offense, our debt, our sin has been forgiven by God undeservedly, unconditionally, unabashedly forgiven by God. So knowing what is bound on earth is bound in heaven and what is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven makes our own forgiveness entangled with the forgiveness that we extend to others. Our Christian life, our Christian calling is one of entanglement, theological entanglement. We are entangled with God and with all God's children. You know, Creator God did something that seems on the surface to be very un-God-like. God chose entanglement with humans out of love. God chose entanglement out of love. God chose to be beholden to us. That's the only way to give and receive love after all, to be beholden, obligated, tethered, entangled. That's what I'm pointing toward with this metaphor of quantum entanglement. Our actions impact God as much as God's activity impacts us. It's a given. 
It's not so much a choice that God has to exercise every time we offend. No, it's a given. It's instant and automatic. It happens because that's how God set up the relationship from the start, like entangled particles. The saying of Jesus is not, whatever you bind on earth, God will then freely choose to bind in heaven. Some English translations, including the one we use today, read, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, making it sound like it will happen after the fact as a result of God's free choice. The verb tense in the original Greek reads more like, shall have been bound in heaven. Something that just is already. Because that's the way it works. Even when we can't explain it. Or like Einstein might have called it, spooky action at a distance. To me, it's more reassuring than spooky. God is not only with us, God is entangled with us. Entangled with us. God moves with us, stays with us forever and ever by design. Oh, for the wisdom and courage to live with that awareness in our dealings with God and in our dealings with each other. In response, I invite you again to a confession, except this time we will sing it. But before we sing it, I will read it aloud. You can turn to Voices Together 150, Gentle God When We Are Driven, or you can follow along on the screen. This is a profound hymn text that speaks to fractured human relationships where forgiveness is needed. Gentle God, when we are driven past the limits of our love, when our hurt would have a weapon and the hawk destroy the dove, at the cost of seeming weak, help us turn the other cheek. Gentle spirit, when our reason clouds in anger, twists in fear, when we strike instead of soothing, when we bruise and sting and smear, cool our burning, take our pain, bring us to ourselves again. In the mirror of earth's madness, let us see our ravaged face. In the turmoil of all people, let compassion find a place. Touch our hearts to make amends. See our enemies as friends. Let our strength be in forgiving, as forgiven we must be. One to one in costly loving, finding trust and growing free. Gentle God, be our release. Gentle Spirit, Teach us peace.
Amen.